Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. stayed out of school and arrived at the 16th Street Church to march. Will Connor tried to stop the marches before they began and brought out the city's police dog. champion we thought he was white then we realized he was black like muhammad ali but still for us foreman represented america he arrived with a dog a german shepherd which immediately offended africans since the belgians had used shepherd as police dogs Raw video like this is changing public perception of police dogs. Here, police in St. Paul, Minnesota, use a canine unit, a dog and a handler, to apprehend Frank Baker. Baker's an African-American man who was identified, mistakenly, as a criminal suspect. Well, what I was hearing was, get out the car with your hands up, and walk toward us. So I walked toward them, and I took like about seven or eight steps. And they said, turn around. As soon as I turned around, he let the dog out on me. And the dog just started just biting me and just, just tearing me up. That, that dog, he made me a cripple before all my life. 
I can't dance no more. I can't play sports no more. I can't run. That's all my whole life. I was playing football and ran track and did things. I can't do that no more. I can't do it. I love dogs all my life. Now I fear dogs. See this house right here? Belong to a dude named Spooky. Mean old Vato Loco, that motherfucker was crazy. Nobody fucked with Spooky. Even the cops respected him, you know? We used to watch his house. They gave that motherfucker 230 years in the penitentiary, too. You like dogs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roddy's are good. Dobermans are better. Spooky used to raise Dobermans. So I'm in the second week of my patrol. I'm rolling out here with my T.O. We pull up at Spooky's house. There's this old man out front named Too Fine, drunk, smiling, beating the shit out of this female Dobie. Beautiful dog, seven months. He's beating the shit out of her with a garden hose. Dog's crying, yelping, and I was raised with dogs, so I'm thinking to get out, do something to this motherfucker. My T.O. says, nah, no, nah, it's cool, it's cool. He starts waving. He starts waving. That Too Fine, right? Motherfucker starts waving back at us, just like smiling and shit with one hand, beating the fuck out the dog with the other. I'm about to lose my mind. My T.O. looks me in the eye, good old boy too, looks me right in the eye and said, said he's teaching the dog to hate niggas. I said, huh? He said, Spooky paid two fine $20 to beat the shit out of the dog to teach him to hate niggas. Police departments across the country right now using canines for drug investigations, foot chases, school assemblies, and much more. But tonight in Tacoma Park, there's a push to get rid of the department's one-dog canine unit. ABC7 Montgomery County reporter Kevin Lewis explains why. They're no longer the right thing for our times. When Tacoma Park resident and activist Seth Grimes sees a police dog, he pictures images like this. Police dogs have been used to, particularly to suppress civil rights demonstrators, black people, African Americans. Grimes is currently hawking a petition to defund the city's one dog canine unit, which made headlines in 2018 when a now retired dog mistakenly attacked a woman walking in front of this CVS just over the D.C. line. U.S. District Judge Henry Hudson sentenced the suspended Atlanta Falcons quarterback to 23 months behind bars for his role in a dogfighting conspiracy. Was it a sentence within the appropriate legal range? It was. Uh, did we at the time believe that Michael was uh, should have received 23 months? We did not. A humbled Vic stood in his black and white striped prison uniform, apologizing to his family and friends for his actions. Man, hold up. You trying to tell me a man got to go to jail that long for killing some dogs? Let me share something with you. Sean Bale got killed in New York City by three police officers. Kill a black man, everybody go home. You kill a dog and your ass got to go to jail. Now something is wrong with this right here. Something is wrong with this right here. What I really want to say, man, fuck them dogs.
cows Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date Monday August 7 2023 so I have been told man the metronome just have to tap my wrist sorry Damian Lillard Rolex nobody has better timing context of white supremacy really Missouri everything just keeps going back to Missouri show me what the system of white supremacy racism and that was what we were talking about last Monday in addition to lots of other subject matter related to racism white supremacy Michael Brown Jr. always pops up in there but we will return chatting up about Missouri tomorrow and really if I had really done great I would have adjusted the intro for today's broadcast to get Ferguson in there today but tomorrow we will be back to Missouri Ferguson really Missouri in general but I'm sure Ferguson will pop up anyway our guest for today's broadcast before I even do that the proper context for today's broadcast reading is more important than watching television so the four books that are super important for today's broadcast least important of the four Romaine Gary White Dog which we were reading at this time three years ago White Dog what is White Dog about the book and the movie what is White Dog about an Alabama police dog that has been trained to attack and kill black males on sight fascinating can he be reformed that's what White Dog is about Romaine Gary written in the 1960s which is odd because that coincides with what our guest for today writes about is the rise in police hounds use here in the states hmm anyway so that's one what are the other three books in no particular order number one or I guess it would be number two sundown towns James Lowen passed away not that long ago I said reluctantly that book is in my top 10 you see why now comes up all the time it doesn't even matter the subject matter (sighs) James Lowen sundown towns super important we read that one in the book club top 10 book number three Edward Baptist the half has never been told oh super important for today's program another book that could be mentioned frequently and that was a book that we accidentally read in the book club end of 2015 beginning of 2016 stunning number four number one could be mentioned every week generally is the delect all for today's let me say it slow for today's program the delectable Negro human consumption and homoeroticism in US slave culture <clears throat> every sentence every paragraph would be applicable 
to our subject matter for today. Now, that said, I generally try and pick out a few of the references to so many amazing footnotes in the report we're talking about today. I saw so many people I am familiar with. Dr. Tyler Perry was a guest on our program 2020, right in the middle of our study of White Dog. We talked about his reports on the same subject matter, the hounds of white supremacy, even talked about Ferguson in that report. In fact, that lengthy intro that I played, I normally would feel bad about playing something so long, but Dr. Perry said, oh man, I was listening. I knew every sound clip that you played except the portion from Training Day where Denzel Washington talks about too fine training the dog to hate Negras. That's from the deleted scenes. Dr. Perry said, I didn't know where that was from, but everything else, yes, yes. So that was 2020 in the footnotes for today. Dorothy Roberts, she gets mentioned all the time, three-time guest on the cows in the footnotes for our report for today. And Aya Gruber, she was with us beginning of last year, 2022, so-called Black History Month, February, chatted up excellent information uh, in her book, talked about old Alice Seabold. Anthony Broad, I'm sure they would have sick the dogs on him as well. Anthony Broadwater out raping people and then whoops. I guess no, he didn't. They have a lot of that with the dogs too. Whoops. My fault. You just got chomped a little bit. Sorry. Anyway, those are in the footnotes for people that I remembered. Our whole broadcast today uh, was sparked by the privileged black male, Jadarius Rose, uh, truck driver. That's about to be obsolete anyway, but he was driving his rig, got pulled over and mauled. Uh, by a police canine I believe they fired the white enforcement officer he'll probably wander to another enforcement agency near you and democracy now they had our guest for today's broadcast on to talk about all of this which should be painfully painfully familiar to some at least for cows listeners uh, I was so excited I didn't get to use my intro I can't believe I was so proud when I first made that intro clip way back in 2020 we used it one time and never played it again today we got the remix with McGruff the crime dog I was so happy about that anyway I guess for today's program in addition to writing about the significance of old McGruff she is an assistant professor of law at the University of South Carolina Law School. Go Gamecocks. She focuses on criminal legal system issues, including policing, race, extreme sentencing, conditions of confinement and the prosecution and detention of children. All that with South Carolina reminded me of uh, George Stinney talking about children in South Carolina. Depends on, I guess, how good your memory is. Anywho, so thankful she could share a bit of her time to hang out with us this Monday evening, joining us live. Man, see if I can do it correct with the name. Our guest, Dr. Madeline Wazelsuk. See if we can get the correct one. See, can we get the correct pronunciation? Wazelsuk, is that it? With shell check. I know it's a tricky one. Give it to us one more time, please, ma'am. With shell check. Was Ziltak? Is that it? Was Ziltak? Was Ziltak like was a Ziltak. check mark? Was Ziltak? Was Ziltak? Yep. Was Ziltak? Wow. Nailed it. All right. Be patient with the name. I think 
give me five more chances. I should have it perfect. Wow. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this Monday evening, being patient with my pronunciations. Uh, anything that you would like to share with our listeners about your great work down in South Carolina? Well, I have to agree with Dr. Perry. I recognized a lot of those clips as well, and a lot of those stories are featured throughout uh, my article. Um, but I'm just really grateful to be here. Um, I mean, along, among the likes of Dorothy Roberts and Aya Gruber, people I admire so much. So thank you for having me. Much obliged. Pleasure is ours. Uh, for people who have not uh, seen your website and such, you are classified as a white woman. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Right on. Uh, this program, uh, I use the term or I guess, are you familiar with that book, Delectable Negro? Have you heard that one before? I have heard of it, but I haven't actually read that. So the others were familiar to me. Okay. So <laughs> great relevant. reading list. Tell me about it. Delectable Negro, number one of them all. Whoa, especially for today's program. Sadly so. Uh, mm -hmm. I use the term racism and the term white supremacy as synonyms, and I use the same definition mm -hmm. for both terms. Uh, the definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated mm -hmm. to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system mm -hmm. exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I think that system exists. Um, I tend to rely on um, Ruth Wilson Gilmore's definition of racism, which talks about um, the production of premature death among those who get classified as non-white. Uh, but I think there's a lot of ways that we could define racism and white supremacy and uh, the systems that accompany those um, terms uh, that are accurate and certainly your uh, definition seems on point to me. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore. She is a non-white female. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I think she is still alive, thankfully. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Got that. Thank she writes, um, she has a recent book called Abolition Geography that if you haven't read might be of interest to you. Okay. Always like adding to the reading list, uh, but we get with the definition that I provided uh, just super important. So do we get accurate? And yes, such a system exists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, particularly for the subject matter for today, uh, there was a non-white author who wrote, oh, you referenced them, Ta-Nehisi Coates. He didn't, it's not in the piece you mm -hmm. referenced, but anyway, uh, in 2014, he wrote a piece talking about racism, of course, and he wrote, mm -hmm. often, or white people are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough. I've been asking white people mm -hmm. now for almost a decade, uh, you're classified as white, you study these issues, racism, white supremacy, you study other individuals classified as white, 
Do you think, particularly with mm-hmm. this subject matter, do you think that a substantial number of individuals classified as white are often greatly and sincerely pained about racism? Do you think that's true? I mean, I think Tanahashi Coates get sort of hits it on the head. I mean, it depends on what you consider greatly pained, I suppose. But I think we people feel bad. They see things and are horrified. Um, but that's not quite enough uh, because that doesn't change anything. Um, and I think... You know, I study police dogs, I study um, death in carceral facilities, and I think studying both, and I, you know, work with kids who are in the um, criminal legal system, and I think in all those situations, I see so much pain and suffering, and I think if people were pained as if those were their people, if as, as if those were their children, things would be different. Um, but I think, you know, people feel bad, but feeling bad isn't really the point. The point is, is doing something about that. Hmm. I guess I'll, I'll say this, maybe I'll, I'll re-ask. Uh, I've concluded one of the mm-hmm. ways that white people practice racism, they're not honest when they speak with non-white people about mm-hmm. racism. They do a lot of pussyfooting and not answering questions super important if we can just get an answer direct and then you can add your nuance and reasons uh, to the question uh, because I'm not sure I got an answer the question do you think that a substantial number of individuals classified as white are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism do you think that's true I guess not necessarily, no. Okay. I guess the answer is no, I don't think I don't think so. I mean, I think people are, often I think is one of the words in there that I struggle with because I think in the United States, we are an extremely segregated society. So I think it's very easy for white people to avoid feeling pain by racism and avoid confronting racism at all in their daily lives a lot of the time. Um, so I think, you know, when they encounter it, perhaps, yes, but I think there's not a lot of, I think a lot of people choose to avoid the issue most of the time. A lot of white people. Okay. That's interesting. I have to, I'll put that one down with an asterisk or a pen to come back to a lot of <laughs> white people. We got some good laugh there too. I'll write that. Lol. Um, a lot of white people avoid racism. They don't have to deal with it. Boop. They do not avoid with it. Okay. We'll put that to the side and come back to you as we, and even that's one to think about with delectable Negro. Hmm. Okay. Let's see. Um, what I don't know. This seems like such a wacky subject matter, but then you have 
most of the article is footnotes where a lot of people have written about this subject in terms of police dogs munching on black people and non-white people all over the world as you heard in the introduction what in the world drew you to this particular aspect of police violence um, I was representing black, mostly black boys um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we were having uh, boys come in bitten about once every three weeks um, when I was working there. Um, and I had never seen that many bites ever. I mean, I had been a public defender in Philadelphia and never had a client come in with a police dog bite. Um, and you know, the volume of kids that we were seeing in Baton Rouge was not nearly as high. And so I just started looking into how can this be happening? How can this possibly be sanctioned? Like, surely the court would find that this is an unreasonable use of force um, if they were presented with these issues. And surely I can get someone to make the police department stop doing this if, if I just tell someone, someone will stop this. Um, and, and that became the research that became this article. And yes, a lot of the articles have a lot of footnotes. Boatloads, boatloads. I don't know if I've ever <laughs> seen more footnotes in a report, but I mean, wow, there was so much information in the footnotes. I, it took me so long to read the report because I would be reading the footnotes like, oh my god the footnotes were just as interesting as the actual body of the report like i found so many books and are it was stunning like uh just the accumulation the, the i don't even know what to say about that but i mean it there are there's a regular i think there are about 500 footnotes did you have any reservations about overloading like people really want this much information or did you feel compelled to you know make sure you could substantiate every sentence every line of what you were putting forth yeah, I mean, the editors at Georgetown Law Journal were really wonderful, and they they do really push you. Just every single factual assertion that you're going to make, you have to back up um, as coming from somewhere. And so, um, yeah, I, I think um, not totally unusual in my field, but I realize that in most fields that it, it is very exceptional. So, yeah. I can't hop over uh, just to get to footnotes, even though they are a plenty just for uh, to excuse or erase the privileged black boys that we heard about in Louisiana being chomped on uh, and uh, Wazzlechuck. Did I get it right, Dr. Wazzlechuck? Wazzlechuck. Wazzlechuck. Sorry. Wazzle I said, give me five. Wazzlechuck. Is that better? Wazzlechuck. Wazzlechuck. Like a windowsill and a check mark. Wazzlechuck. Wasilchek. Yes. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. Four more. Wasilchek. Wasilchek. Okay. Privileged black males in Louisiana being chomped on at volumes you had never seen before. Were you able to get, or number one, was this justified? Had they been out looting? Well, we know, hey, we've heard about these black boys in Louisiana that go out looting and raping babies and pillaging under the worst circumstances. So were they doing things that warranted being chomped on? I mean, I think, um, well, no, I think is the short answer. The longer answer being most of the kids were accused of 
um, low-level prop, nonviolent property offenses. Um, and that's what you see in a lot of police dog cases because if you think about it, if, uh, if a person is in a conflict with another person, you're not going to send a dog after them because that dog might go after either person. Um, dogs, you know, can't distinguish who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. And so, to put those terms in air quotes, but, you know, they can't tell who's the aggressor in a situation. And so, you're not going to send a dog um, into a situation where there are multiple people involved. So, typically, um, the the dog is being sent after someone either to try to prevent someone from running away, which was most of the kids that I was representing. They were usually running away from cars that they had either been driving or riding in that had at some point been stolen, um, usually charged with a crime that's similar to joyriding. Um, or maybe um, a dog will get sent in somewhere if someone is in a building, the police think someone is in a building that they're not supposed to be in. Um, but there's not going to be that use when someone is, you know, engaged in a, um, per interpersonal conflict or violent interpersonal conflict because that dog can't make that distinction. Crazy. I've heard this before. And she said children. This is the context for police canines being released on children. What was the youngest age uh, of the black boy that you worked with in Louisiana? Mm, I think the youngest kid that I saw bitten was 13 or 14. Um, but there were, yeah, there were kids. I think the youngest who got bitten was possibly 12 at the time. Wow. Middle school. Wow. Privileged black boys in Louisiana, reminding me of Philando Castillo from some years ago. Um, wow. So that's what kind of brought your attention to all of this and seeing that there's a there's a wider pattern of what's the report called the racialized violence of police canine force. And again, this is like hot off the presses, uh, just 2023 publication. Why did you go with that title? Well, what I see have seen in you know Baton Rouge, and then um, the Marshall Project did a series, a Pulitzer Prize-winning series about police dogs across the country. Um, and what we see time and time again is that black and brown kid or kids, adults, most mostly men, mostly men um, below the age of 35, um, but some women too, are overwhelmingly bitten by police dogs. And every jurisdiction where I've seen numbers, um, it's been disproportionately people who are racialized as Black or um, Latine or um, other non-white um, groups that have been disproportionately the targets of this type of violence. And I think, you know, police dogs are not well studied in the legal academy. I think we have um, mostly looked at police dogs for purposes of drug sniffing and, and detection and 
you know, cadaver dogs or dogs that search the wreckages of buildings. But I think there's far too little attention on these types of bites. And because of that, we really don't know nationally how many people are bitten and what the policies are and why are they bitten. Um, there's just a really a huge dearth of information. And so I thought it was important to call um, readers um, attention both to the fact that police dogs are a weapon of force and that they are used against people who have been minoritized by the police. We pay attention to words on this program. I- I'm certain that's a big part of your field uh, as a law professor. When you use the term uh, racialized, what do you mean? Well, I think um, the violence itself is racialized. So the use of race um, or the use of the dog to create and reinforce structures of racial hierarchy and racial oppression is what I mean by racialized or racializing. Okay. Okay. With that definition, would that be the same thing as racist? Like, could you substitute for that title uh, racist? Uh, let me make sure. Yeah. Racist violence of police canine force. Is that the same thing? Uh, I want to say it's slightly different. Okay. Um, I think racist violence refers to the the system of um, racial hierarchy that already exists. And so racist violence is a reflection of that. But I think this violence actually helps create and maintain race. And so it it is not only, a, so it could be both racist violence and racializing violence at the same time. It helps create that system and maintain that system. It also is a reflection of that system. And that I think would be racist violence, if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Okay. We'll get into some of the details of that. When you talk about where these hounds are deployed, the context, oh, that's some of the footnotes right there, the context of, all of this deployment, the global context of this deployment, some of these areas we were literally just talking about. I found so much of this uh, stunning because we were just talking about the Congo for World War II, and then it boomerangs back with the- stunning. Everything is related. Uh, you already touched on the <laughs> misandry of all of this, which is the same thing that popped up with Dr. Perry, even though he did not make it explicit, which I appreciate, at least you did, and very early on in your report, uh, you write, police dog force, like most forms of police violence nationally, is aimed disproportionately at predictable targets, those racialized as black and other racialized groups. While the NEISS study reflects that police dogs most frequently bite black boys and men, black girls and women though fewer in absolute number are like their male counterparts similarly overrepresented as victims of police violence i think that is so uh, important we mentioned this with dr perry even just casually listening to some of the audio clips that we started with this seems very much we are looking to chomp on black males uh, and i think that is so important in terms of just grasping where this violence, this particular aspect of police violence is focused. Uh, even how we got here, Jadarius Rose, 
black male. Uh, your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, Khalil Gibran Muhammad really writes uh, compellingly about the criminalization of blackness and blackness as a mark of criminality that's been constructed in the United States. And I think uh, when you look at black teenage boys, they bear the brunt of this. Um, And I think that's part of why they are often targets of police dogs. I think, um, you know, they're more likely than just about well, not more likely than just about, they are more likely than anyone else in the country to have contact with the police. Um, And that contact often turns violence um, against them. And um, they are thought of as threatening a lot of the time. And so um, we, we say, you know, Uh, police say that they're frightened of them or, you know, they could have a gun. And those justifications are invoked to explain why this level of inhuman violence has to be used against them. Um, But it just simply isn't borne out by the facts on the ground. Context of white supremacy. I said George Stinney, uh, South Carolina, and black boys, black children in general, they are not thought of as children. I think that's another big part of why all of this excessive violence for joyriding. Now, this constitutes lethal force, you know, where you could be mauled to death uh, by a dog. This, in fact, I even remembered Goose Creek, that's in South Carolina, the high school because of or in the wake of Columbine early 2000s they went into the school mostly black children they brought the police dogs in these are like 13 what you said before 13 14 year olds terrorized them rumors that they were selling drugs or what have you they didn't find one cigarette but terrorized all these students got the police dogs sniffing on everybody and for nothing they filed a lawsuit and all that good stuff later on but oh. I mean, going to school lovely uh, and you even write about that as well where they used to bring out the dogs to terrorize black children on the way to school long pre- in fact even I was thinking dang are you South the University of South Carolina it's the Gamecocks yes mm-hmm. yep. it, isn't some of that the right there the, the culture of the sporting and wagering, the cockfighting and, and having the dog fights and all of that back to slavery, a la Chicken George from Roots, isn't that part of that white culture right there, the Gamecocks? Oh, you're you're going beyond the scope of my knowledge about our school mascot. Sounds like I need to do some uh, additional research. Um, I've been at South Carolina for uh, just about two years now, um, and so I don't have a ton of knowledge about the Gamecocks, but I will have to look into that. Mm, that is one. <laughs> yes, these wacky mascots <laughs> that they have at their universities. Yes. What exactly is that all about, Gamecock? Hmm. All righty. We'll uh, put a pin in that one, come back to that one later as well. Uh, with the context because you do well even if we can't get the Gamecocks there you have the whole context of this repeatedly uh, you start it's global it's not even just here at the US skipping down a little bit in the report 
for me it's page six you write uh, the current deployment of police canines against black boys and men links present policing practices to the foundations of canine policing in western colonialism imperialism and chattel slavery police dogs were first introduced to southern states as dogs to hunt enslaved black people slave dogs some of the first slave dogs were themselves directly descended from the dogs used to control and attack enslaved people in haiti and then spanish florida northern police departments modeled their use of police dogs after departments in europe where dogs had first been adopted as instruments of war and colonization and then as crime fighting tools across the united states police agencies first called upon dogs for order maintenance against the dangerous classes the poor immigrants and black people why is this i guess an important foundation for how we look at what is happening incidents like Jadarius rose right now i think we need to keep track of the fact that the dogs that police are using didn't just appear out of thin air these are another example of the militarization of police forces even though we don't necessarily today think of them as military weapons though you know call back to abu Ghraib and some of our um, continuing conflicts overseas but also that in the U.S., this is where police dogs first came from. The entire idea was to uh, protect, well, not, well, protect the property by force and even by killing, if necessary, of white planters, and that property was in human bodies. And so um, I think when we talk about the issues that exist in policing today, I think it's necessary to um, link that to the past and to our history to understand where these practices come from and why they're so hard to get rid of. Because if it weren't for this long-term legacy, it wouldn't be so difficult to say, hey, this doesn't actually work to ensure public safety, this actually doesn't make anyone any safer, let's get rid of it. It's because there is a deep commitment to these legacies that we see play out. That word commitment. Oh, make that a sound clip. See, that's my definition. Individuals classified as white, dedicated. That's why when they talk about man are white people do they feel bad about all this I was going to read the part this is on page 11 from Wasilchuk am I getting closer Dr. Wasilchuk yes Yes. getting closer okay progress I was going to read from page 11 where she gives some of the history the Cuban bloodhounds and what have you I will have to get one of the footnotes in just for Thomas Jefferson but ooh wee Edward Baptist the half has never been told I'm just skipping to this is chapter 8 blood he write Paul's father changed Robert grew up with a father and so 
to save their son's blood, elders told young male slaves stories like the one about the man who ran away to escape torture. The dogs bayed after him for days. Eventually, the slave catchers began to reel him in. Finally, jaws snapping at his heels, the young man burst out of the woods into a clearing where men were making bricks and ran straight into the blazing furnace. Run from hell and you might find yourself in even hotter pain. So, in the Mississippi night, after young Scott Bond heard such stories, he curled up in his single blanket and tried to sleep. He breathed slowly on his pallet. As the world quieted, he could hear howling in the woods around him, the bloodhounds. And he thought about how he'd heard the white folks say that the music they made was the sweetest music in the world. Direct quote, the half has never been told. This is, I think, when you talk about commitment, even when, man, I cannot wait. What do you find out? What is South Carolina Gamecocks? Why is that the mascot? Dedication to all of this. What the sweetest music in the world. Hunting black people. Is, is this culture, this context, is this a part of why we can't get rid of these canine units? I mean, I think definitely. I think it's reflected in our, um, you know, in the police violence we see. I think it's reflected in uh, our incarceration rates. I think it's reflected in the way we punish uh, incarcerated people and, you know, sort of lock them up and throw away the key and say we don't care what happens within those facilities. Um, I think it's in how we fund schools and healthcare and <laughs> think it's everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, the, the bloodhound is a particularly, um, I mean, that quote is particularly chilling, but I think it, it's all around us if you look for it. What, what do you mean? Explain that. It's all around us. Yeah, I mean, if you look around wherever it is that you live and you look at the racial history of that place, I mean, assuming this place is the U.S., but I'm sure there are parallels elsewhere. Um, you look around Colombia and you say, why do those people live there? Why do the black people live on that side of town? The white people live on this side of town? Why on the side of town that black people live in are there lots of check cashing places and not enough grocery stores where you can buy fresh produce why are the schools on that in that part of town this one way and this part of town this other way why are why is the university where it is and how did it get the land it got right i think you see traces of these histories everywhere and the police dog is an image that 
if you look back at photos from Birmingham or um, other places in history where the dogs have been used, if you watch body cam video of the dogs, it's like an extremely obvious um, connection that you can draw. It's an extremely obvious source of violence, but I think there is uh, racial violence, racist violence that is um, surrounding us in all of these different ways that we enact racial hierarchy across systems and, you know, across the United States. It looks different ways, but northern cities have it too. Out west, they have it too. I mean, the San Francisco police dog trainer was literally a Nazi, the first one. So um, I think it's uh, our racial racist history of this country is, is all around us context of white supremacy absolutely <laughs> thank just glad i got the detail let's make sure i could grasp what you were saying to us uh, the footnotes footnote 51 i wanted to make sure i included uh you write perry and yingling note that white southerners including thomas jefferson believed that black people smelled looked felt and tasted different such that their dogs could detect differences between races imperceptible to humans but objectively present even during the first recorded sale of Cuban bloodhounds in the United States amidst the second Seminole War in Florida some local historians argue that the hounds were brought to the state to hunt enslaved people rather than suppress insurrection. Wow. Now that is stunning on lots of it. Thomas, President Thomas Jefferson, black people smell and taste different. That even seems like a part of the racializing component that you're talking about even though that for sure would be racist as well am I misinterpreting uh, see if I can do it Wazilchek did I get it correct woo yes bang all right um, yes I think that's absolutely absolutely right and I mean I think it's interesting a couple of presidents up here in my footnote George Washington speaking to you know, divide uh, black folks, black and slave folks from their uh, protectors, their own dogs killed their dogs, um, had them hanged. And so, um, yeah, president, former U.S. president, um, not making the most sterling appearances in this particular article. <laughs> University of Virginia graduate I am loving we can get old Thomas Jefferson in here man I totally forgot did you see the recent reports uh, Joe Biden President Biden commander I think is his name where he had been chomping on secret mm-hmm. servants agents and they had to ship him off did you see that I did I did yeah he was a German shepherd too right yeah. he was yep I mean I yeah, 
I, I'm German shepherds can be perfectly lovely, but of course, uh, you know, it, he seems to have a biting problem. So that's, that's not great. I was so, when I saw that, I, I hate was, to blame the dog for the sins of their people, you know, but, um, yeah. Mm. I, uh, I said, I'm not a big dog fan. Even you talk about that in the book, lots of reasons mm-hmm. for that, but I was so eager. Sure. I wish they had included like which secret service agents had been chomped on. Like, was this, were they white agents, non-white mm-hmm. agents? Like, oh, I would have paid money to get that extra tidbit, but oh, well, they've shipped him off now. Hopefully he'll be retrained or whatever. Um, You even, this parallel, I said Dr. Perry, when he was with us in 2020, the only clip that he said he didn't know was the scene from Training Day that they deleted where Denzel Washington is talking about how they would train the dog to hate black people. They would have a black person beating this pup with Mm -hmm. a garden hose. That's even paralleled, right? You have footnote 54, Frederick Douglass, The Horrors of Slavery and England's Duty to Free the Bondsman. You write Frederick, uh, Frederick Douglass Papers, Series 1, Speeches, Debates, and Interviews. Uh, enmity is instilled into the bloodhounds by these means. A master causes a slave to tie up the dog and beat it unmercifully. He then sends the slave away and bids him climb a tree, after which he unties the dog puts him upon the track of the man and encourages him to pursue it until he discovers the slave. Sometimes in hunting the Negroes, if the owners are not present to call off the dogs, the slaves are torn in pieces. This has often occurred. All in quotes, the great Frederick Douglass. I mean, now we could have been talking about Joseph Lee Petaway, which is not something that happened way back when uh, in the 19th century. But I mean, yeah. wow, that is I can't even say that they made up some fiction in Training Day. Apparently, this has been going on for a long time, training the dog to hate black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you teach a dog that those people will harm them and they will defend themselves against them. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, these strategies were very intentionally used by, um, by enslavers to make the dogs vicious toward black people. This you, it just, it comes up in so many different ways. That's why I said, even without the Gamecocks, all of this is white I don't know what else to call it white culture the sport of it uh, to turn the dog loose chase the nigger down laugh about even the section with Jadarius Rose he pulls over he doesn't have a gun this is the recent case uh, he's driving his big rig he gets yeah. pulled over he's on the 911 call even saying I'm afraid I think they're trying to kill me they want to kill me they're throwing bombs and things on the road mm-hmm. and all that to stop me and they're like oh no stop exaggerating stop talking crazy just stop the car he stops the car and they let the dog on him. And even, even that you made us run. You made us chase you. We are going to punish you for making us come after you. And just seeing that just throughout you write, this is on page 16, this same sort of ideal you write elsewhere in the country, though formal canine units may not have existed. Police and prisons nevertheless used dogs 
James K. Vardaman, a penal reformer and the governor of Mississippi, starting in 1904, oversaw the construction of a prison at the infamous Parchman Farm. There, Vardaman enjoyed taking groups, enjoyed taking groups of people on horseback to engage in mock hunts of prisoners for sport using the prison's bloodhounds, after which he hosted picnics. Parchman was not the only carceral facility to use dogs to minutes its wards. At the Dozier School for Boys, which we talked about in Florida, founded in 1900 as the Florida State Reform School, the administrators used imprisoned men with bloodhounds to hunt, hunt for runaway boys. The boys would sometimes be taken back to the school in a dog cage. Wow. Now, I mean, that's uh, white culture, the sport of it all. Oh, we talked about the doge and the hierarchy of it all, which uh, you talk about repeatedly. We don't just use the dogs to track you down and bring you back black boys again. We bring you back and put you in the dog cage while we probably reward the dog handsomely for catching a black boy. Is this is all of these different components white culture? That one was a question, uh, Doctor Wazilchek. That one was a question. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, yes, I mean this was this was Southern black culture, or excuse me, white culture certainly at that time and I think that um, there are echoes of it today, right? Racism's changing same. We reinvent the institutions and the mechanisms to enact similar harm um, and that is the police dogs today. Can you, I see folks dialed in with questions. I guess, can you explain in the 1960s during the so-called civil rights period, you're having black people out in the streets and what have you. It's not just that kind of iconic image of Birmingham uh, where it's once again, black children being bitten by children. You talk about how in this part of the world in the U.S., you start to see a rise in police departments having these canine units during this exact same time period. Can you kind of give us some of the detail about this correlation? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things where it would be really interesting to dig into local records if they existed. But, you know, police departments don't tend to keep a lot of <laughs> records about why they make particular decisions necessarily. Um, but I think you have to, you know, imagine based on the correlation that the quote unquote racial unrest, the fight for civil rights, the different um, uprisings across the country at that time have to have influenced that. And where we do have evidence of why people had programs, like in San Francisco, where the um, attack of a white woman, allegedly black, black man, is explicitly invoked to support um, starting a canine unit 
in, you know, York, where the police dogs were only used to attack black people in St. Louis, where they start using German shepherds and where we know that the police department has a long history of racism and oppression of black folks. Um, I think those kind of that upsurge sort of speaks for itself when you think about what else is going on in the country and why suddenly you would have all these units. And it's interesting, there's a short, there's sort of a dip um, post Birmingham because um, some departments don't want to be affiliated with what happened there. And so you do see a few um, agencies disband their police dog units. And then, you know, later on, in the 70s, early 80s, readopt um, canine units again. Fascinating. She said 70s and 80s. That is fascinating. Um, let me see. I see the folks. I want to get in one more, and then I'll, I'll nab some of the folks who dialed in with questions. This is another uh, term, uh, minoritized, and just for listeners, because that's not a term that I'm, I was familiar with before reading your report. I'll give context. Mm-hmm. You write specifically, as courts have recognized, minoritized people often have good reason to fear or avoid the police, making them more likely to flee regardless of guilt. In the context of police dog force, that also makes minoritized people more likely to be pursued and bitten. When told by a police officer that she should not have run from the police One black woman expressed that she was afraid of being shot and that she had seen as she had seen on the news. Although the police officer dismissed her fears as unwarranted, the officer's flip response was undermined by Judge Carlton Reeves order granting qualified immunity in another case, which recites 19 cases of police killings of black people. There we go for context. What do you mean we use the term minoritized um so rather than use the term minorities which um gets used sometimes to talk about black people or latina people or other um, asian people other people of color other non-white people um, i use minoritized because in the communities that we're talking about these aren't necessarily people who are in the minority but they are made to be um to be treated as minorities as um, lesser parts of the populace, even in the locations where they are the majority, um, they're treated as if they are uh, excluded from the American polity writ large. I see. Okay. That's one just if I was giving my view, if that if you're using it to mean, (laughs) if I understand correctly, these are non-white people, black people or any classification of people who are not white, but they're being mistreated uh, with this racialized, racist canine force or other uh, enforcement officer aggression. Uh, if that's what we're talking about, I think it would be a lot less confusing. Just we're talking about non-white people, victims of racism, because that's really what it boils down to. I didn't I, I don't hear people say non-minoritized people in reference to white people. I mean, that's kind of something I also include if if this is how we're going to call the one group of people who are not white, what are we going to call the people who are white? If we're really talking about the power dynamic mm-hmm. of racism, white supremacy, then we should just use terms that 
explicitly and with as little confusion as possible get to that because I was really like minoritized. What does, hmm. We're just talking about. I guess the question, I guess my question sort of back to you on that point would be though, then if you're, if you're defining non-white people, then only in relationship to whiteness, right? And here it's not just, in here, it's, it's, that's not the whole story. And I, I wonder if that has its own problems defining non-white people in relation to whiteness. You know what I'm saying? I think it's really, like, I think these um, are important conversations about, like, how do we talk about race and racism and, you know, what do we call people? And um, so I just, I actually mean that as a, a question. Why um, is there something problematic about um, defining black people or if we're trying to refer to like groups of people who are non-white or is there a problem referring to that in a way that only um, describes it in relation to whiteness? That's the power. So you, now you said here, that's not the whole story. I thought when I read the report mm-hmm. that you were talking about consistently, that is the story that it's, white dog trainers I didn't read reports about black people who were having these dogs and going out and roughing up black people although I guess that could happen but that's what we were talking about white people with these dogs and then the system of white supremacy racism at large individuals classified as white throughout the world organizing supporting this funding this uh, allowing this legally from the supreme court and what have you I thought that was the whole story am I in error No, I guess I mean, um, like, when we're talking about, hmm, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say. That's suspicious, I'll just but okay. leave it there. I think, <laughs> well, did you have more? I mean, because you said you were kind of stymied. You weren't sure about yeah, what you were. No. Okay. Okay. I'm just, I do, there's no universe where logic would tell me that minoritized is moving us to more accuracy. I don't, I mean, I don't even know what that means. And particularly, I said this before, when they start coming up with this crazy jargon where you get terms like uh, majority, minority, and things like, like, what are we, and that seems like what this is related to, because you said minoritized, because it'll be areas where it's mostly non white people. But they're not being treated as though, hey, we're the majority here. We're in power. That's not what it is. White people still come in and mistreat them and chomp on them and let the dogs maul them. If that's what it is, we just talk about the system of white supremacy racism. These are non-white people, victims of racism, and they're still being chomped on even when they constitute a numerical majority in a specific region. That's, I think that's way more accurate, way more logical, way less confusing than minoritized people but I could be in error in fact listeners you can let us know if you dial in with your questions such let us know you got to hear a whole paragraph with that term being used to see you know if and you got to hear her explanation as well let's see folks who dialed in if you have a question see if I can get it correct again Dr. Madeline Wazilchek so I was close enough okay Let's see. A person who dialed in 4914-4914. Did you have a question? Line should be open. Hey, can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
All righty. So uh, my question is, uh, I have uh, two questions. The first thing I will do is respond to the minoritized aspect. Um, the only thing I can think of is that uh, you'd be purposely making people a minority. And I think that, uh, like, that's the only way I could try to make sense of the term minoritized. So I, I think a more accurate term would definitely be practicing racism or mistreating or, you know, I do think that there are more accurate terms that could be used. But as for my question, um, the first question I had was, do you have any information that police dogs happen to attack uh, non-white people more frequently or are used in areas where there are more non-white people? Did you hear that one, Dr. Uh, Wazilchek? Let's see, Dr. Wazilchek, are you with us? Not hearing her. Let's see. Oh, there she go. Maybe she got disconnected. There she go. We got you again. Did you hear? Uh, did you hear our first okay. caller's question? I did hear his question, and I'm so sorry. I dropped off for a minute there. Um, I lost the call. So I, but I did hear his question, and um, I, you know, I take your everyone's feedback on minoritized. I will reconsider that. Um, I, um, so the data is really difficult to get. So places where we have seen um, data that reflects that non-white people are bitten more than white people are places like Baton Rouge, where it's overwhelmingly um, black people who are bitten. Um, Indianapolis, um, several of the departments in um, the Bay Area in um, California, there's been some really fantastic reporting out that way. And I cite it in my paper um, that demonstrates a bunch of Bay Area cities that um, have a ton of bites and also um, they primarily bite non-white people. Um, where else have we seen? Um, we've seen several attacks in Alabama, but I think, you know, one thing, and in Los Angeles in the 90s, there was a big lawsuit um, that um, the city settled about the use of police dogs in LA. Um, and there they demonstrated that they were being deployed mostly to non-white neighborhoods in that particular instance, mostly black and Latina neighborhoods. And so, um, like I said, we don't have comprehensive information across the country. Police departments don't give over this information easily. Um, but all the cities where I've seen data, that is what it shows. Alrighty. Alrighty. Uh, thank you. Um, and my second and last question is, I've seen instances where uh, the police have allowed dogs to continue attacking um, while pulling off, pulling them off or trying to grab them um, instead of using yeah. release words. If I'm not mistaken, I know that uh train the dogs to, uh, I guess, release when they use a certain code word. But um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask, do you think that uh, it might be a matter of the dog maybe having a bad day at work or something like that? Or do you think there are definitely instances where police decide not to use the code word and allow the dog to keep attacking? And that's my final question. 
Yeah, so not all police dogs are trained to out with on command. Um, there are two, so outing is the term that police use to describe removing the dog from somebody. And you can out on command, um, and that's when they say a word. Often it just means like release or out in um, a different language because a lot of the dogs get imported from Europe, and so they're trained in whatever language they were first trained in. Um, but then there are also police dog handlers that train um, hard out, which is just pulling the dog off. Obviously, that's much more dangerous because it tears flesh. Um, and, you know, a dog that is well-trained should out on command. And, like, to me, the rep most reputable police dog handler trainers that exist um, say that you shouldn't do a hard out. You shouldn't pull a dog off someone for the very reason that it is extremely, it can be extremely damaging. Um, but I, I don't think it's, I mean, maybe the dog is having a good day, bad day at work, but maybe if we have such fallible weapons, we shouldn't use them. Um, so that's what I would say about that. Much obliged, good sir, for your question. Uh, other folks, 720 Seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. If you have a question, uh, let's see. Before I get our other folks who dialed in with their questions, uh, I thought it was important as well. Uh, the global context. Now you just said a lot of these dogs come from Europe where they're trained, brought over here. Mm -hmm. You talk about that in the book as well. The, it was in the sound clip, uh, the rumble in the jungle. George Foreman brings his German shepherd uh, over to, what's the Congo now? It was Zaire at the time. He brings his German shepherd over and the African, like, oh my God, what are you doing? The same dog that they used to brutalize us. I thought that was so important. And you had already mentioned it earlier, even with Abu Ghraib, where deliberately, mm -hmm. we know these are non-white people. They practice Islam. We'll put the dogs on them and that'll be oh that's even impacting their religious views and everything love it put the dog on them like that again shows remarkable consistency and from a global context where you see the same sort of what shall I say sadism uh, with using these ta these dogs as a form of racist violence against non-white people throughout the world can you kind of touch on that international component of this yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, what's really remarkable to me is that the people who trained uh, the dogs at Abu Ghraib, there's a great um, uh, article on this about where they came from. And they came from U.S. prison systems primarily. Um, and those are prison systems where they use dogs against incarcerated people um, here in the U.S. Um, and, you know, the James Vardaman, who NPR interviewed as part of um, when they were asking about the dogs at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo, he trains dogs for the military in Iraq, and he also trains dogs for many federal agencies and for many police departments. And so this is very much... Um, interlinked between the military and police and prisons and it's interlinked internationally as well global context 
of white supremacy. Uh, I think especially with the employment of canine force, you talk about how there, this is like an autonomous weapon, especially once you let that dog off the leash. Hey, if you're not there, especially if it's a situation, like you said, an intruder, someone's in a building, that type of thing. And they just let the dog go. Who knows? Maybe you get there in time to pull them off. Maybe you don't. Maybe you tax the wrong person. It's not like you said before that they have, okay, this is a good person, someone who's supposed to be here. I shouldn't bite them. This is a bad person. I should chomp them and all the rest of it. There was, I mean, this is kind of a grisly report in many respects, but yeah. Joseph Lee Petaway, I mentioned the black misandry of all of this. I didn't even know mm-hmm. about this case. I check for these sort of things on a regular basis. This is not ancient history. They have many news articles on this. Just I'll read a tidbit just for listeners, but I think this you write while the police in these situations often had imperfect information as in the golf cart incident where police believed they were responding to a carjacking, the treatment of dogs as an indeterminate form of force has had serious consequences. An Alabama man, Joseph Lee Petaway, privileged black male, was killed by a police dog after someone reported him for burglarizing an unoccupied house, one that he was repairing for his mother and for which he had a key after the dog lunged and bit pet away the handler struggled to remove the dog for nearly two minutes and testified that he had to choke the dog until it could not breathe and was nearly unconscious before it would let go of Petaway's groin. I staggered because I said, wow, I thought this was the same black male that he bit him in the throat. He killed him. And you have to bite him in the groin to the point that you almost have to kill the dog to get him to release. I was staggered. I'd never even heard of that. And again, this is not ancient history. This was well report, even ongoing. The family's fight. They won't even release the dash cam video. Hey, you're proud of your work. Let's see what happened to Mr. Petaway, where the families had to fight. Can't even get the, the footage. They've said it's private down in Alabama. And you have lots of situations just like this, where it's someone they're not posing immediate threat. Maybe they haven't done anything wrong and they still get chomped on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everything from sleeping in one's own backyard, sleeping on the couch of an office that you work in, but accidentally took the alarm for having a dog lifted through an open car window. Um, you know, it, I, in Baton Rouge, there was a um, unhoused person who was in the path of a dog that was sent after some kids and bit, bit the man. Um, so yes, uh, the you know the dogs once they are released are 
a little like a heat-seeking missile. They find the warm, the nearest warm body. They don't distinguish um, in terms of whether that is a person who should be bitten or not. <sighs> Disgusting. Um, see the other folks who dialed in. I We had Norm Stamper as a guest on our program some years back. Uh, he was former police officer in San Diego. Uh, and, mm-hmm. oh, I found it. He was a, and he wrote the book Breaking Rank. He's written several books, but he also was chief of police here in Seattle, Washington, for a number of years. And he talked about that culture of policing, the racist culture of policing, and how they would celebrate. He even told us, Go get your nigger knocker. We're going to black male. Find the darkest black male that you can. And we're going to beat him down. He told, wrote about it, told us about it in detail. But when you write, this is about Joseph Petaway, same black male. You write later on in the report, uh, a black Montgomery, Alabama handyman illustrates the danger of sending a police dog ahead of officers based on unknown, unspecified risks. Petaway had been working in a house for several days when the Montgomery Police Department received a burglary in progress call for the location. Rather than investigating, officers sent a police dog into the otherwise unoccupied house. The handler, MPD officer Nicholas Barber, waited about two minutes before removing the dog from Petaway, who died from his bites. When another MPD officer asked if Barber got a bite, Barber responded, Fuck yeah! That's what I mean, the sort of game cock. That's what he said. It was like a football game. Like, give me a high five. We scored a touchdown. Like, yeah, he chomped on him. The context, again, I just read it. So what the fuck, yeah. He bit a black male, Joseph Lee Petaway, in the groin, killed him in the groin to the point that the dog almost had to be killed to get him to release and this is something to celebrate that's what I mean like when we go all the way back when I ask so do you see that white people are severely and greatly pained about all this because it seems like this the sweetest music in the world it seems like exactly the same thing we love this delectable negro am I I don't know how she read that fuck yeah and I presume they got that recorded because they had the uh, what do you the dash cam, the body camera. So I recoon that's how they got a you know transcript of him saying. But it it would seem to, it was so many examples where it seems like they look forward and enjoy this sort of thing. Am I misreading? No, I don't think so. Look up what happened to Mister Petaway. Let's see our caller last four digits two or Lauren. Sorry, Lauren. Did you have a question uh, for Doctor? Madeline Wazilchek should be with us. Yes, I do. Uh, Dr. Wazilchek, in your research, have you seen any instances of non-white people training dogs to attack white people? No. I will say I haven't been looking for it because I've been looking at police dogs, but no, I have not. Well, do the police ever arrest white people? Yes, and white people do get bitten. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember they had the, 
the case it was a white male they released the dog they were looking for someone black and it was a white male hiding in the bushes and the dog leaped on him and bit him and they said no no, no that's fine too yep yep that's not they said oh it was they said the first bite did not constitute an arrest that was the way it was phrased that the first time that was just a you know hey everybody can get right. on a get a freebie <laughs> and this is a freebie I mean, it was stunning. It was, and even that, the way that is a huge word for this program, that minimizing, you talk about how that is so enormous in the legal writing and how they adjudicate these bites and such that it's not a mauling. It's not Mr. Petaway. They chomped, they killed him and chomped on his growing, literally castrating this black male for two minutes. Oh, he was bitten dog applied pressure it's really sanitized with the language like oh okay this was you know just a a, a little a little brief uh nibble and then he leave can you just talk about the way that they skillfully use language to sanitize this is torture in my opinion sometimes it's murder mm-hmm. yeah i mean you'll see the dog made contact um or the dog um or, you know, a lot of the police reports will say minor dog bites afterwards. And, you know, I've seen those dog bites and I wouldn't describe them as minor. I mean, they're bleeding for, you know, hours and out, like hours and hours afterwards. I remember a kid coming into that he had come into the detention center overnight and um, he was still bleeding through, actively bleeding through his bandages the following morning and could barely walk. His whole calf was bleeding and his mom later told me that he, um, you know, at one point the doctor was concerned that the bone had been infected. It had bitten so deep and, you know, he was 14. And so, yeah, and his police report said he had minor dog bites um, that were treated at the hospital. So I think in general, just the use of the word apprehension to describe these attacks the idea that they're not using, that they're not mauling, that they're trained to bite and hold, but not maul. I mean, if you look at, if you've watched the videos of any of these things, that looks a lot like mauling to me. Textbook, she even put the definition, I said words, she put the definition for mauling, like use some common sense. What do you think this qualifies (laughs) as? mauling terrorism the sweetest music in the world uh you i did not accidentally include uh mcgruff in the sound clip i did you wrote about mcgruff the crime dog all of this that we've talked about Mm -hmm. i submit is a celebrated aspect of white supremacy racism white right in line with that sanitizing with the language uh, the dog made contact and you know minor bite that sort of applied force that sort of thing right with all of that propaganda racist propaganda in my opinion and even the hierarchy whose life is worth more McGruff the crime dog for people out there who are young the millennials and don't remember they had this huge cartoon ad campaign with this 
fake dog, some person in a dog suit, and you'd come out and take a bite out of crime and all this other nonsense and drugs and all the rest of it. Uh, but they have this, and now they have all these, uh, I don't even know what you call them. They'll have news segments where it'll be celebrating canine dogs. If they get a medal, they apprehended some of maybe chomping on Mr. Petaway, or they made a drug bust and found some cocaine and all this other nonsense. The Today Show, I wasn't... I was stunned because I saw this before I saw your report. This was on the Today Show. They wasted two minutes with this report about the canine dog in Michigan. I just want to play this so folks get an, an I contrast this with what we just heard from Mr. Petaway, right? Almost had to kill the dog to get him off of his growing. This is what they spent two minutes talking about on the Today Show and a variety of news reports across the country how canine units are valorized. Well, an 11-year veteran at the Wyandotte Police Department is being accused of a questionable act, and he's an unusual suspect. The force posted the case on social media for public opinion, which has gone viral. Yeah, the department says the officer continues to receive unconditional support. 7 Action News reporter Faraz Javed has more on the unprecedented case. Nearly 40 officers serve the Wyandotte Police Department, upholding the law to the T. But now one of their very own is being accused of a deplorable act. It's usually not something another officer would do. Officer Cade Barwig has been on the force for five years. The 28-year-old tells me that the incident happened in this break room during lunchtime. Get out my lunchbox, get my sandwich out, I take one or two bites of it. Officer Barwig immediately gets called to assist with an unruly prisoner. Upon his return, Officer Barwig was shocked to see his salami monster sandwich gone. Then I realized ice was up here. Officer Ice. I knew that was kind of his track record. Officer Ice has been on the canine unit for 11 years. The German Shepherd is a decorated cop who has assisted several federal agencies. Detective Sergeant Ken Grote says Ice also has hundreds of drug busts under his belt. He found over a kilo of heroin um, in a wall in a house in Detroit. The Wyandotte Police Department posted the incident on social media, noting that Officer Ice has pleaded the fifth and ask for public opinion. The post since has gone viral with thousands of likes and over 8,000 shares. Lieutenant Neil Hunter tells me folks believe Officer Ice is being framed. Everybody says the face says it all. He's innocent. He's got a handsome face and he's, he just couldn't do something this heinous. Now pretty much every day Officer Ice receives treats and toys not only from Michigan but from around the world. He also received his own sandwich. Where are we now with this investigation? The public spoke. Um, his attorneys have spoken, several of them, more attorneys than I've ever yeah. seen um, a defendant have. And uh, he's been cleared of all charges, and uh, he's back to work. However, for Officer Barwig, justice may never be served. It's different being the victim and uh, just knowing you might not ever get that piece of item back or even food back. Will you ever get over this and forgive ICE? Yeah, I, I forgive him. He's he's done a lot of good for the city, and you know maybe he deserved a sandwich. Maybe not my sandwich, but maybe a sandwich. It helped take a fight out of crime. Indeed, uh, the propaganda of pieces like this, where we do not have savages, beasts that go out to torture and terrorize black people. Hey, this is cuddly, Officer Ice. Oh, I thought, woo. Officer Ice, who gets treats, snacks, a viral post, 
sandwiches and beloved in Michigan. Meanwhile, Mr. Petaway, I don't think he got a sandwich or viral posts. I don't think people even know his name. Just can you talk about why why that sort of thing is important? How does it even relate to your work? That sort of propaganda and the hierarchy of whose life is valuable. Officer Ice, black males. Yeah, I mean, I think to put it in the most explicit terms, here in South Carolina, we re- in, I think, in Spartanburg County, we recently had a situation where a dog, we sent a dog in after someone, the dog bit them. When the dog bit them, the person tried to use um, an item that was nearby him to uh, stab the dog with to get him off because he was biting him. And the officer shot and killed the man. Um, Whose life is more valuable, um, right? I think we, not only are we putting dogs into this position where they are going to be harmed and then we're blaming the person who we sent to bite them for harming them, but also we have decided that it's more important to protect a dog than a person. Um, And I mean, you heard on that clip that they refer to the dog as officer ice and say he's a decorated officer, blah, blah, blah. I want to make very clear. A dog is not a police officer. Um, And, you know, unless it can take the entrance exam and it can swear an oath, it is not a police officer and it does not have the rights of a person. And so to kill someone in defense of a dog is not acceptable. Um, And I think all of it sanitizes dogs. It's used as a furry mascot for the department. There are dog police dogs of Instagram accounts. Um, I don't know if they have TikToks. I'm not on the TikTok. But, um, you know, those are used as a way, as a public relations tool, it looks fluffy, it can do tricks, um, and and that all is used to whitewash uh, the real violence that those dogs are, um, you know, brought into the department to do. Because if the dog isn't used for violence, if it's like a drug detection dog only, or like the ones that sniff your suitcase at the ple- at the airport that aren't trained to do apprehension, then those are typically not German Shepherds or Belgian Malinois. They are dogs like a Labrador Retriever or something else small that is not as prone to aggression and that um, isn't trained to bite. I got staggered a couple times. Like she said, the dog has an Instagram account. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it just bit my growing and it's, oh my God. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> like, I was hurt there. And then, wait a minute. She said, the dog is not, they got whole statutes. You wrote about that. Like, you, you they have enhanced mm-hmm. penalties. You attack a dog. They told us those dogs have arrest records and what have you. It seems like they don't agree with you. The dog is an officer. It's got the vest on. We gave him a badge. This is an officer. Well, I mean, they can call it that all they want, and they will. But by law, it's not an officer. Um, I mean, they do. there are lots of statutes that treat police dogs as more protected and worthy of higher penalties for 
um, you know, harms to them than regular dogs and pet dogs. But in both cases, they are property. Um, they are not people. And so, um, and, you know, we could get into a whole different discussion about what it means to treat dogs in that way. But um, that is, it, they can say that as many times as they want. That's not legally correct. Mm, Lee, that's assistant law professor. University of South Carolina's <laughs> law school, just going by the letter of the law, they are not officers. But they said, and they didn't just say it was an officer. They named the dog Officer Ice. And you all didn't see the video. I did. Ice was spelled I-C-E with all capital letters, the same way they do for like immigration and customs enforcement. Now, she talked about racializing and racist enforcement like Wow. Why would you name the dog? And even if they had spelled it capital I, lowercase C-E, I thought, oh, okay, cool as ice, vanilla ice, maybe, you know, something. But I mean, I-C-E, all caps, like, oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. Got it. What all this is about. And even incidentally, so two times the half has never been told what we just said so this is rewind 200 years and you get the same thing Edward Baptist says you know if you was raised from birth like this you could stand it said another formerly enslaved man Peter Corn. yet another Robert Falls remembered that in Mississippi childhood we learned to say yes sir and scrape and bow and to do exactly just what we was told to do make no difference if we wanted to or not. Whites subjected boys to incessant behavioral modification techniques making them watch whippings scaling up physical pain for even the smallest evidence of resistant behavior then when as a man someone tried to run away the first things the trackers did once the dogs caught him was to re-inoculate him against the disease of self-assertion the hounds would bite you and worry you remembered Henry Walden but the overseer running up called out if you hit one of them dogs I'll blow your brains out they would tell you to stand still and put your hands over your privates, Walden said. Edward Baptist, the half has never been told, even 200 years ago, the dog's life is worth more than yours. Protect your growing. Should have told Lee Petaway that. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida with the Dozier School. Did you have a question? For Dr. Wazilchek should be with us. Yes, greetings doc, to the doctor. Uh, my first question uh, specifically uh, Does law enforcement train uh, these animals to attack a person's juggler vein and/or their groin area? 
specifically do they do they train the dog to attack those body parts so they train the dog to attack whatever is most accessible um and so in theory that means they should go for somebody's leg or arm first for their extremity but depending on where the person is and how they are like trying to protect themselves from the dog or whatever, it, the dog might go at other parts of the body. And also the dog, if it's poorly trained, might just go at other parts of the body. Um, the woman that um, our host referred to a little bit earlier, um, who was um, bitten and told police officers she ran because she was afraid of being shot, um, she had her scalp bitten off by the dog. Um, the dog, so the dog went straight for her head. Um, and, and so while they aren't trained to go for those body parts, it's a predictable outcome that when a dog is just trained to go for whatever it can get its mouth on, it might end up fighting a, a very sensitive body part. Okay, uh, you sounded like what uh, the answers that I was getting by looking for it, uh, not very specific. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, my last question is, uh, if the person uh, that is attempting to be uh, put into custody by law enforcement uh is not being uh, chased after because of a violent crime. Uh, why wouldn't law enforcement have a muzzle on that animal? The an those animals are very huge and strong, and they can literally mm -hmm. knock a person down. So why, why don't they have a muzzle on their face for a person who's fleeing that it has not committed a violent crime? Um, it's a good question. They, I mean, because the dog is trained to apprehend by biting and only to apprehend by biting, they're not trained to, to apprehend by knocking someone down. That's not to say they couldn't be, but that is not the way that police dogs are currently trained. Hmm. Cause I saw some, I saw somewhere as I, as I was waiting to get called, I saw somewhere where mm -hmm. it, it, they are trained to knock people down. By biting them. Well, I'm not, I, I don't think they meant that, but I could be wrong. I don't think they meant. I think. I think they meant literally jumping up and knocking a person down. I've seen the dogs. I'm not a. I'm not a dog expert, but I've seen them. They are big enough sure. to knock a person down. Oh, a hundred percent. They are huge. Um, but you know, all of the training that I'm aware of for police dog apprehension is training to either bite and um, bite and hold, and those are the biting dogs, or to circle and bite and bark at the person to basically try to corner them until they um, give up, unless, and but if that person keeps moving, then they're still trained to bite. And so apprehension dogs are trained to bite. Whether they can also knock a person down, um, they are, they are trained to bite. Right. Isn't, isn't it true that, you know, because they have ex exhibitions 
law enforcement have exhibitions all the time and they show off mm-hmm. these dogs, the first thing they do to that trainer is knock the person down. They knock the trainer down. Is that correct? Um, I mean, when I, I am not familiar with the, what they do at an exhibition in terms of like the order of things. I, I know I have never seen a, I've seen hundreds of videos of police dogs, but, uh, apprehending people and every single time they have been victims. Okay. That's it. Much obliged retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, last few moments before we let Dr. Wazilchuk enjoy Wazilchek enjoy the rest of her Monday evening. Um, you talk about in your report, and I guess this one uh, for your response, uh, if you can explain it to us as though we dropped out of high school. Uh, we do not have all of your great legal expertise and training, uh, but I think this is so important. You seem to place emphasis on it that with regards to when it goes to court, Supreme Court or another court of law, uh, when it's going to be adjudicated about search and seizure, seizure, it is done from a criminal context. When it comes to excessive police force, it is done from a civil context. That is different. You as a law professor, why is that an important difference when we start talking about canine force? Well, so, you know, if you get searched illegally, if the cops pull you over and they don't, shouldn't have pulled you over or they pulled you over and they were allowed to pull you over, but they search your car and they didn't have the right to search your car, we can challenge that in a criminal case. But if a police dog bites you and that's how they um, catch you, and even if they shouldn't have caught you in the first place, well, first of all, then you're hopefully not getting charged. But even if you're getting charged and you win, there's no way to to challenge the fact that you got bitten in the criminal case itself. So Mr. Jadarius um, Rose got charged with the crime. He's not going to be able to, to challenge the bite itself in that criminal case. Instead, if he wants to challenge that bite, he's going to have to bring a separate civil case where he can ask the um, court to give him money in response to um, the unlawful bite that occurred. But, um, you know, there's lots of legal hoops also that you have to jump through in that instance. So um, is that what you're getting at, The, the distinction between a civil and a criminal case and when you can challenge it? Is there something more that you're um, looking for me to speak about? Uh, well, certainly. I thought that was hugely important. And then also it seemed like because you talk in the courts, they have never sufficiently addressed serious bodily harm. That also makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to pursue any sort of redress for this either way, criminally or civilly, because they've never really said, well, hey, if you get chomped by a dog, eh, maybe that's not serious bodily harm. Right. And so I think, um, you know, once you bring that civil case and you say, hey, I should get some compensation, I should get some money because this dog bit me and that was unreasonable use of force. It was excessive force. Um, The police 
or the police will bring up, first they'll bring up qualified immunity, which some of you may be familiar with, that basically says, well, even if this was unconstitutional, even if this was excessive force, it wasn't clearly established, meaning there wasn't a case that was extremely, extremely factually similar that's happened before where the court has said this is unlawful. And so, oh, the police couldn't have possibly known that this was unreasonable. And so you lose. Or even if you get past qualified immunity, you still have to prove that the force was unreasonable in light of a series of factors. The series of factors really focuses not on, you know, how harsh this particular use of force is, how violent it is, but instead on, you know, were you running away? And it treats were you running away um, similar to, um, you know, violent resistance in a lot of respects in terms of sort of saying like some level of force is necessary, but then the court gets to say, well, was this amount of force reasonable or the, or if it gets to a jury, the jury gets to say that. Um, but because of all of that minimizing language, because courts have really treated this as an intermediate form of force, as something closer to a baton than to a gunshot, um, it becomes really hard to say that it was disproportionate. And the court has refused to say it was unreasonable, even in some cases where the person was killed. Um, and so Robinette versus Barnes is one of the very first um, cases where this comes up. And that in that case, they said this wasn't lethal force, even though in that case, a person died because they said it wasn't foreseeable that a person was going to die from these job sites. man uh all of this at least in my view in the context the judges the enforcement officers the canine trainers they know where these dogs are supposed to be deployed and which bodies are going to be getting chomped by these animals i think that greatly informs the legal responses that we get in these cases and how these laws are applied. If these dogs are going to be used for individuals classified as what, in fact, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. They would not be having dogs on white children in Seattle or Portland or South Carolina, Charleston, wherever this wouldn't be. You would not have pregnant white women coming out to look. Oh, I heard a ruckus. And the police dog hops the fence and chomps on a pregnant white. That that would not be. I mean, really. Uh, have you found any cases of that pregnant, random, pregnant white women who were just out spectating and got chomped on by police dogs? Have you found those cases? No, I think the closest analogy is the white woman in her office who um, tripped the burglar alarm and got chomped in the mouth, mm. but. No, I have not heard a case of a pregnant white woman. She has the pregnant black female uh, victim in her yeah. report, unsurprisingly. Uh, Non-Clemson Grant, Mommy C, just had a child. And I just said, Goose Creek, that's in South Carolina. They hadn't even heard of that one where they brought the police dogs in the school. 13-year-olds 
You got the drugs, don't you? The, oh, they got mm-hmm. video of it, too. You got drugs. Get on the floor. Get on the floor. Get the... The dog looked bigger than the children. They were 13, those German... Sh- the dog easily looked bigger than the children who were face down on the ground. Woo! Non-Clemson grad, non-Clemson dad, Mommy C. Wolf Baby, did you have a question for Dr. Uh, Madeline Wazilchek? Hello, Gus. Um, hello, um, guests, and hello, cows listeners. Um, I'll just be asking the questions for tonight. Um, <clears throat> we had a few questions. Um, we wanted to know, are there specific police dogs for drug searches versus apprehending or, in this case, attacking a suspect? So in some departments, yes, and in some departments, no. Um, it really depends. So a, a dog can be trained as like an all-purpose dog, in which case it's trained for apprehension and drug sniffing and things like that. But sometimes dogs are trained only as drug sniffing dogs and not as patrol dogs or all-purpose dogs. Um, it just it depends on the department. So they sometimes do exist separately. Oh, not Clemson grad. Did y'all got your question? Okay. Oh, uh, let's see. Nap all the folks who had their questions. I think. Uh, before we allow the doctor to enjoy the rest of her evening, you wrote, this is on page 35 of the report, the chasm between the racial memory of white and black communities in the United States when it comes to police dogs is true across other forms of racial violence as well. While these legacies remain present in the families of black Americans, White Americans mostly choose to forget or even bury those histories. Therefore, while for many white Americans, police dogs can serve as copaganda that softens the image of the police. For many black Americans, they evoke a different set of emotions. Copaganda instead of propaganda. Got copaganda. Um, I guess we're back to this was the one that we put a pin in from the beginning. When you say that these legacies that white Americans mostly choose to forget or even bury these histories, what am I to make when we see things like with Mr. Petaway, the fuck yeah. So much of that seems very much to evoke these memories and a, and a, what shall I say, a consistency about how this canine force is utilized even even in fact when you wrote specifically you talked about the german shepherds and people who know that but that's the breed from white dog that's it right there but that specific breed they want to get that breed for the police departments specifically to intimidate black people you talk about that over and over where that pops up us no 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 they're afraid of these dogs and that's what we want that seems very much that, oh, yeah, we do remember. And that is exactly the feeling that we want to eat terrorism and fear. That's why I said we'll come back to that because you write about that, right? That's that's the whole purpose. That's what we don't want. The little nice Labrador no, 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 no. German shepherd. Didn't you write about that? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense then? That's what I'm saying about that. That doesn't seem like you, you can't be calling up that same dog that was used in Zaire, beat down black people in the continent, same dog for Abu Ghraib. It can't be that we keep coming up with the same dog that's been trained to brutalize black people and they got different breeds, right, through different generations and bragging about this and then saying that they don't, or that, yeah, saying that white people specifically don't remember. That just, you and you got white people training well, the dog. I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, to be, to be frank, there are black canine officers as well, right? So, I mean, it is, there is a particular white, racial history here, racist history here. Um, but I think what, you know, this this idea about the presence and the legacies remaining present in black families versus white families, I draw from Sherilyn Eiffel, um, who is a litigator at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And um, I think when white Americans look at that propaganda, that Today Show spot, for example, they see that as disconnected. They want to see it as disconnected from this history. Now, that might be intentionally obtuse, um, but I think that's what I mean by burying the history. They're saying, look, they I don't approve of um, Mr. Fuck Yeah Guy. Um, I can't recall his name. Um, I can't, I don't approve of him, but that's different than this past thing. I'm not saying that they are right. I think that's wrong. I think that's incorrect as a factual matter. But I think that is what is standing in the way of some of this recognition for the people ta Coates talked about as feeling bad but not bad enough. It's because they say, hey, I feel bad that he said, fuck yeah, that's awful, but then don't choose to see why this is part of the legacy that's been created. Hmm. Like intentionally obtuse about it. Intentionally, okay, okay. Intentionally obtuse. We got our Shawshank redemption word for folks and to do free intentionally up to now even that because we've had willful ignorance and many sort of iterations of that over the years from guests on the program even from the segment that you referenced copaganda I said that one correctly this time with the segment that I played before from today uh, from Michigan it's hard for me to accept it's not even logical I will submit for me to accept that white people are ignorant about all that number one what does the Gamecocks mascot represent? <laughs> That's a big one. Two, the officer at the Wyandot Enforcement Agency, his name, Officer Ice, I-C-E. If there wasn't immigrations, services and all that associated with we got to get that wall up and get these non-white people out of here and even they're raping white women if there wasn't all of that I would think but wow you had a whole person who got all the way to the White House saying that sort of and exactly 
You even wrote about him talking about presidents saying we need these type of dogs. Oh, if we had those sort of no counts out here at the White House chomping up and down about George. Oh, we'd had the most vicious attack dog. Some people, they don't feel bad about that at all. And they don't forget all of that. In fact, they celebrate. It's what I said before. It's the sweetest music in the world. And delectable negro that's what i'm submitting you can't be ignorant if the dog is ice and <laughs> the school is the game cox you uh let's see did i miss someone the caller oh non-clemson grad they came back it got dropped i think non-clemson grad let's try it again or sorry mommy c let's try it again yeah sorry about that um i think um for the U.S. I know you said some of the info is difficult to obtain, but in terms of the demographics of the police canine trainers, how many white people have this job? How many black people? Because I feel like I rarely see a non-white person who has one of these dogs. Do you know that info? Um, I don't have statistics. I just came across in my research at least one black 
police canine officer, and I was kind of surprised to see it, to be honest. Um, but I would say overwhelmingly white. I mean, police forces in general are overwhelmingly white in most cities. Um, but no, I'm not aware of the statistics on that. Okay. Uh, I was super excited to ask this one. Uh, I can, I think, unless something pops in my head, make this one my last question. We can let you enjoy your Monday. Man, oh man, it looks like uh, old McGruff and Rin Tin Tin, Lassie, all the rest of them may be retired soon because now they got the robotic uh, dogs. Uh, What do, is this an improvement? Is this any better? What do you think about the use of this technology uh, moving forward? And even with words specifically, we've had some folks who've said, this is a robot. Why are you calling it a dog? What do you, what do you make of all of this? I mean, I really worry about those being deployed as surveillance tools and mechanisms of control on the upside, they can't bite, and so far that I'm aware of, they haven't been equipped with weapons or anything like that. That would be really, really scary. Um, so, I mean, I don't think they're going to replace police dogs, the ones with blood and bones and fur, um, because they aren't doing that apprehension work, and they also can't sniff. I think... It is really interesting that they're called dogs. I think it was, I think it's, a, again, a PR tool. I think it's a way of making them seem, you know, amusing and friendly and whatever, um, or trying to make them seem that way. Um, what they remind me of is if anyone's seen the movie Minority Report and those, like, spiders they send in to scan uh, Tom Cruise's eyes in that movie, it's like, there's little surveillance drones. I mean, that's, that's really what they are. And um, it it is interesting how these um, sort of tools evolve and change and all of that. But I, I think it'll be, you know, I, I don't think they're going to uh, replace police dogs. I I worry very much about their deployment, but I guess if you want to compare them, at least they don't bite. Yet. Uh, Although I will (laughs) say about the weaponization, Micah Xavier Johnson, I mentioned Philando Castile already, 2016, summertime, it was about this time they were in the middle of the presidential campaign after Philando Castile and Alton Sterling uh, they're shoot black males uh, who were shot uh, by enforcement officers, and I believe they were both armed legally. They had the march in Dallas, Texas, Black Lives Matter. They had peaceful march, and Micah Xavier Johnson allegedly opened fire, shot, killed five enforcement officers. They used some sort of robotic to detonate a device where he was killed. Uh, that's been talked about, or should be talked about mm-hmm. a lot, but that's, at least to my knowledge, the first time a deport an enforcement agency deployed some sort of robotic device uh, weaponized robotic device and killed someone and of course black privileged black male Mike Xavier Johnson but yeah that point to that like oh man I hope that is not what the future get. I do remember minority report Tom Cruise those little tiny drones that can scan I, they're even talking about having those in the schools to respond to potential school shooters 
they could have those dogs and they could be well oh my gosh Woof. crazy times uh man oh man it has been uh, i have learned so much i went through the footnotes i would encourage folks to get the report the racialized violence of police canine force uh authored came out just this year 2023 madeline k was Thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, this Monday evening. Man, I learned a ton from your reporting. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll read and, and see that. Man, I cannot wait. The follow-up show. What Gamecocks? What, and for South Carolina, what does that mean in the context of whites? I cannot wait. Gamecocks, Gamecocks, Gamecocks. Thank you so much for sharing some of your uh, Monday evening with us. Uh, I will be looking forward to the update. All right. Thank you so much. For sure. Yes, ma'am. You too. Context of white supremacy. Dr. Madeline K. Wazilchek. Much obliged for all the folks who tuned in. Hope you all learned a lot. I would get the report. Take your time. It's only 80 pages, but about half of that is footnotes. Uh, I read a number of the footnotes as we kind of progressed through the discussion this evening. Couldn't read them all, but there are other books there are other reports that you can read throughout the country, California, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, uh, where they talk about that. We didn't even mention Terrell Bradley. If I had, if we ever have any other programs where we talk about uh, canines being used, tools of enforcement in the system of white supremacy racism, we'll have to switch up the intro audio and include Terrell Bradley and Ferguson. Those are super important uh, we've been talking about Terrell Bradley down in Florida, mauled uh, by some of these savage canine beasts uh, very recently, and they've still been talking about that case ongoing. But yes, we'll include him moving forward. Uh, let's see. We'll be here tomorrow. I'll take a quick break and then give folks opportunity to share. But we'll be here tomorrow, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Ferguson, back to Missouri. In fact, I said, Mama C, who was with us, got through the tech difficulties and everything. Uh, she said, dang, we keep hearing all these cases, Missouri, right on the state line, Missouri and Kansas. Uh, they had Timothy Hazlitt Jr., suspected race soldier, suspected or accused sexual terrorist, had the dungeon in his own property. Black female escaped. He was arrested in the autumn of 2022. We talked about that case. Bishop Powell, uh, Bishop Caldwell was on the program end of last year same time period we talked about all of that Ralph Yarl more recently black male just went to get his siblings went to the wrong house and was nearly shot and killed we talked about just over the week uh, weekend uh, Janie Crosdale black female she was supposed to be a witness at minimum in the case for Timothy Hazlitt Jr. they found her remains earlier this summer didn't even know the five, the family until recently. All in the same area. Roger Golubsky, Kansas City, Kansas side, all in the same area. What is going on? We will chat about that tomorrow and put all of that in context. And I said again now, hey, that's Missouri. It just happens that we're on the other side of the state now. But I mean, yes, that would be the same Missouri, St. Louis that we heard about. Ferguson that we heard about. Yep, same state. Show me, show me what? White supremacy racism as usual. 
we will get our commercial break in. I'll post, or I think I did, but I'll share one more time. If you did not hear, I'd say today's program would be great companion if you did not hear when Dr. Tyler Perry was on the program in 2020 in the middle of the Rona. His work is cited in the footnotes of Dr. Wazilchuk's report. He was with us. We talked about some of the same uh, information. Hers just gives the update and deals more with the legal component of all of this. Uh, but you can go back and listen to that as well as the book White Dog, which again, they made a movie that came out in the 1980s. The book, staggering for so many reasons. The thing that they changed for the movie, in the movie, it just happens to be a dog who is racist. That is the color white. In the book, it is a police dog from Alabama who has been trained to devour and maul black people who they unsuccessfully try to rehabilitate. That's the case in both the book and the movie. Stunning metaphor for the system of white supremacy, racism, and what it means to be white. In fact, in the movie with the late Paul Whitfield, who was also in the first Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, in the movie, Paul Whitfield's character, Black Male, he's trying to train, get this racist dog to stop killing black people. The dog kills a black male in the church. White Jesus looking down, teary-eyed, pitiful. Black men, just like Mr. Petaway, killed in the house of the Lord. We'll try again tomorrow. We'll take a quick commercial break. In fact, I'm going to play that report just so that I can hear McGruff the crime dog. I cracked up laughing because I had not heard McGruff. It's been eons, right? People, anybody, if you were born this side of the millennium, like 2000, like what? Who? McGruff? What is he not? Go on YouTube and just put in McGruff the crime. You probably just put in McGruff. And in fact, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, dog is God, Romulus and Remus. ISIS papers for sure. I think she would have appreciated all of that from this program. But whoo. McGruff the crime. Do you know there is a black male victim of white supremacy? So-called rapper named McGruff? I looked and I had that in my notes when we talked to Dr. Perry. I said, oh, dang, I was going to ask him about that. And maybe I did. But you got Bow Wow. You got Snoop Dogg. McGruff all of these black males taking on the names of a dog why would huh why would that be hmm hmm dog pound all it just goes on and on and on and on and on why would all these black males be named after a dog hmm hmm the man's best friend. Quick break, and then we will be back. See if folks have thoughts. Uh, if they learned anything, context of white supremacy. Well, an 11 year veteran at the Wyandotte Police Department is being accused of a questionable act, and he's an unusual suspect. The force posted the case on social media for public opinion, which has gone viral. Yeah, the department says the officer continues to receive unconditional support. Seven Action News reporter Faraz Javed has more on the unprecedented case. 
Nearly 40 officers serve the Wyandotte Police Department, upholding the law to the T. But now one of their very own is being accused of a deplorable act. It's usually not something another officer would do. Officer Cade Barwig has been on the force for five years. The 28-year-old tells me that the incident happened in this break room during lunchtime. Get out my lunchbox, get my sandwich out, I take one or two bites of it. Officer Barwig immediately gets called to assist with an unruly prisoner. Upon his return, Officer Barwig was shocked to see his salami monster sandwich gone. Then I realized ice was up here. Officer Ice. I knew that was kind of his track record. Officer Ice has been on the canine unit for 11 years. The German Shepherd is a decorated cop who has assisted several federal agencies. Detective Sergeant Ken Grote says Ice also has hundreds of drug busts under his belt. We found over a kilo of heroin um, in a wall in the house of Detroit. The Wyandotte Police Department posted the incident on social media, noting that Officer Ice has pleaded the fifth and ask for public opinion. The post since has gone viral with thousands of likes and over 8,000 shares. Lieutenant Neil Hunter tells me folks believe Officer Ice is being framed. Everybody says the face says it all. He's innocent. He's got a handsome face and he's, he just couldn't do something this heinous. Now pretty much every day Officer Ice receives treats and toys not only from Michigan but from around the world. He also received his own sandwich. Where are we now with this investigation? The public spoke. Um, his attorneys have spoken, several of them, more attorneys than I've ever yeah. seen um, a defendant have. And uh, he's been cleared of all charges, and uh, he's back to work. However, for Officer Barwig, justice may never be served. It's different being the victim and uh, just knowing you might not ever get that piece of item back or even food back. Will you ever get over this and forgive ICE? Yeah, I, I forgive him. He's he's done a lot of good for the city, and you know maybe he deserved a sandwich. Maybe not my sandwich, but maybe a sandwich. And help take the fight out of crime. Context of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, we will be here uh, tomorrow. That would be Tuesday, August eight, normal time, eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific, Missouri. And we'll be here certainly Thursday. The book club, Sue Klebold, cannot wait. Columbine study session continues. Normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Learn something about everything. Now, if someone said, Gus T. Renegade, we just spent two hours, a little over, talking to this white woman, talking about these quadrupeds, robotic, organic, what the deal? What are we supposed to do with all of this? What does this mean? What should we understand about white supremacy, racism? Well, I would say, number one, white culture. They and Mr. Fuller even talked about this. The fox hunt. And we talked about this. We've talked about it repeatedly. We had a white man on. He had one of the photographs. White people, they had on their best pants, jackets, coordinated, few drinks, of course. Got the hound. We are ready. Let the fox go. Oh, we love it. Call it coon hunting. That is white culture. They have been doing this for, that's why I went all the way back. Half has never been told. This is not some new thing. We love this all over the world. Get excited. 
to go after Negro. I got my gun. I got my hound and my horsey. The horse was right here. We talked about all that this year. The horse, the dog, the bio-artillery of white supremacy racism. They got whole reports where they use that sort of language. The bio-artillery, the bio-weaponry of white supremacy racism. It's not just man's best friend. Everything is used for the practice of white supremacy racism. Half has never been told. They said hounds hunting black people. That is the sweetest music in the world. That could have been in Delectable Negro and maybe it was. I guess it can't be. Oh, oh can't be because that book was published after Delectable Negro. So not possible, but it could have been. That would be a big one. What does it mean to be white and all that about rehabilitation? And even really when we hear that rhetoric lie, then white people, they, they're ignorant about racism. They don't know about all of this. I humbly submit white people brag about and celebrate that's the good old times oh I love it love it so that's why they go continent do the safaris that sort of thing why even want to sign up enlist and go in the military where you can do the same thing didn't she tell us Abu Ghraib didn't she tell us that dark people Negro. I've said that a bunch of times Negros is Negros fine we read about that Chris Kyle go get my dog get me my rifle and whoo get to it whole world just so that we can go out with my horse my dog my drones my weapons of war against these dark people that's what it means to be white and I submit they're not ignorant about any of that Uh, the black misandry of all this as well cannot be, I mean, most of this to attack black males all over the world. And then to celebrate all of that. Uh, let's see. We had even some of that I've talked about before. Where white people will quote from black people when they say something that is inaccurate. Now, I thought that started with the definition, even though Ruth Wilson Gilmore is still alive. I thought we were going to get a pivot out to a less accurate definition or way of conceptualizing white supremacy racism but she did agree uh, with the definition said it was accurate a number of times where she does quote from non-white people even that portion where she quotes from uh, Sherilyn Eiffel we read her sister the late Gwen Eiffel her book about the breakthrough which did not age well oh my God, we read that right when President Trump was about to take off it. Like, ooh, ho, ho, ho. anyway, uh, Sharon Eiffel, victim of white supremacy, she can say what she says, but man, in terms of black people have a legacy and a memory of the police dogs and white people don't, wrong. We just have a different perspective about the police dog. It's the same thing with the lynching. Black people have the memory of, oh my God, they lynched our brother, cousin, uncle, grandfather, blah, blah, blah. It was awful. We had to flee town. Couldn't even talk about it. White people 
they have your testicles in their grandparents' attic. Their family talks about this, the same thing I said with glee. We've had numerous white people come on the program and talk about that exactly. They're not ignorant. That is a super important lie of maintaining all of this, that somehow white people don't know this information. If anything, it's the other way around. Mind you, again, now we've had two white people to come on and give all this information in great detail. In fact, global context of white supremacy, racism, and how whites have employed these dogs to practice racism. Not saying black people don't know this information. I'm just saying we've had two white people come on and give this information. Anywho. Uh, oh, Mr. Petaway, I'll make sure to share that and then we'll get to folks who dialed in. Uh, judge won't release body cam of deadly police dog attack in Alabama. This is from May of 2022. I thought that was the whole point of having the body cam. So we have the footage and know what people did and all of that. And then you get this all the time. I'm not going to read the full report, but privileged black male Joseph Lee Petaway, a 51 year old black male, bled to death after police dog bit his thigh and tore his femoral artery inside a mostly empty house in Montgomery in 2018. That would seem like growing area, right? Police said they got a call about a possible burglary, although Petaway's family says he had been helping fix up the small home and sometimes slept there. Petaway's family is suing the city and several police officers, including the canine handler, Nicholas Barber, white male, suspected race soldier, alleging excessive force, wrongful death, and failure to provide medical aid. The family says they want the public to see the videos showing what happened when the city police dog named Nico fatally bit Petaway. Despite national press coverage and the long-running lawsuit, the public still hasn't been allowed to see the footage nearly Four years later, the videos are currently filed under seal in the lawsuit because of a protective order preventing their release to the public. Attorneys for the city have successfully beat back multiple requests from the family and the press to make the footage public. They argued in court that releasing the video could jeopardize police safety and the violent footage could end up facilitating civil unrest. The city also argued the release would affect police privacy causing annoyance embarrassment for officers who were acting in good faith acting in good faith hmm I guess if they were acting in good faith in all of this, I don't think they should be embarrassed. It would be what what's that tacky phrasing, the rhetoric that we got from a few presidential administrations ago, a teachable moment. That's what it would be like that. Oh, we we thought old no count. Mr. Petaway was a burglar, a hoodlum of some sort. We were acting in good faith. We didn't mean any harm. And it just was a tragic ending. But we're going to retrain old Nico. That's the, the, the canine. Right. We're going to retrain. It'll be a teachable moment and we will do better. Why not that? No. No. I I think what is full of stand by your work. 
I'm a big advocate of that, even for the screw up. Don't just stand by your work when you want to come out and brag about you got a dog that stole a sandwich or some other nonsense. Stand by your work. You did this. That's why we have the body cam footage, right? That's what you told us. Sweetest music in the world. Folks who dialed in, commentary to share. Uh, did we learn anything? Help us solve this problem. Thoughts from uh, Dr. Madeline Wazilchek. Let's see. May I be heard? Lauren? Yes, ma'am. Um, yes, sir. Thank you for allowing me to speak. I I looked up that definition she was talking about by Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and she said racism is the state-sanctioned and or extra-legal production and exploitation of group differentiated vulnerability to premature death. Um, it doesn't really talk about racial classification anywhere in that definition. That could be a white person. I don't know. Um, also, um, the doctor, she asked the question, whose life is more valuable after describing a, a situation where a person tried to stop a dog from attacking them and w then was shot to death? I mean, I think that was a rhetorical question because, the answer seems obvious. The dog's life is more valuable. I just, I thought to myself, like, if people wore T-shirts that said dog lives matter, white people wouldn't have anything to say about that. They would not disagree. And that's all I have for now. Thank you. I think it would be, duh. <laughs> like, that would be... uh record sales no controversy i don't think you'd have any of those goofy reports about people being thrown off of uh planes and other sort of difficulty traveling and moving through public space if they had their canine lives matter and you know quadruped lives matter like oh absolutely hell yeah man I, i'm with you man right on the PETA people would love it like uh yeah yeah i i, I agree completely and the definition exactly what I said I was a little concerned it's like oh man we are about to pivot into some nonsense uh, it, what you no mention of race racial classifications individuals classified as white at all no man that that is not the same thing when she said minoritized people same thing and that's they have lots of old jargon and such uh, where it just moves away from speaking honestly, accurately. What are we talking about? System of white supremacy, racism, individuals classified as white, mistreating the people that they say are not white. That's what we're talking about. Not all this, you know, and, and even, I mean, that sort of thing, I humbly submit is a willful act of white supremacy. The work that you have, racialized violence and all the rest of it, you know who's getting and you know specifically who's getting chomped on black males, non-white people in general, but black males. She's got statistics where sometimes it's like 60 percent of the people who get chomped in a particular city or county or whatever, what have you. It'll be 60 percent of the victims will be black 
classified as black, but they only have a population that's about 10%, sometimes less than that. Like, how is that? Deliberate, willful targeting. And we are dedicated to this. That should be reflected in the language that we use, both in our definition of white supremacy, racism, and even when we get down to specifics about all this, not minoritized and all the rest of it. But yeah, that I think willful act of white supremacy, racism, individuals classified as white always try to push us away from just being accurate, being honest, logical, and not having a lot of confusion and un- like goofy, like what? even that definite and, and to put it off on a black person. They love that. And I said, she did give us a victim this time who's still alive fine but they love that to push that off on another victim as though we are the experts and we got it no man you're a professor you study all of this you know what it is let us see Uh, much obliged to Lauren make sure other folks if they have commentary that they want to make sure I would put both of those up I would say equally the definition where she pivoted to another victim of racism who does not explicitly racism, white supremacy is what white people are doing in terms of the business of mistreatment. That's one. And then that same, and it's exactly the same because she went to Cheryl Eiffel. She went to a non-white person victim of racism who I have great regard for her work. Uh, Miss Eiffel lofty credentials. Dr. Kamal Kamban is a huge fan of hers and it said so repeatedly he always looks out when she's going to do interviews and commentary and such generally talking about racism and the mistreatment of black people but on that one victims guaranteed qualified white people are not ignorant and they have not forgotten about black people excuse me black people being chomped on by their four-legged pals let's see other folks who dialed in if you have commentary to share non Clemson grad <laughs> mommy C should be back with us let's see can I be heard? yes ma'am yes I, I think it was something that you said Gus um, about you know the, the generational trauma that black people have um, with uh, German shepherds in particular and I've noticed here in South Carolina that there's been an uptick in the number of people who own uh, German Shepherd dogs. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this a few times on the cows, but our neighbors, they have two white dogs. Um, one is white and one is black, but they're the long-haired German Shepherds. And we're here down in South Carolina, 103 summer weather, and I'm just curious like, why anybody would have those dogs. But you said, you said that's something to the extent of, like, People, people get these dogs, these um, German Shepherd dogs, because they know that black people um, are fearful of them. And I just thought that was interesting because our neighbors have two of them. They move into the neighborhood. Um, I, I guess maybe white Hispanics, but they moved into the neighborhood, got one, and then shortly after um, somebody broke into their car, then they got the other one. And um, yeah, they're very vicious. Very, very vicious. Never been off the property. So I'm just curious, um, you know, you know, if, if those dogs are meant to scare the black people in the neighborhood um, from, you know, going onto the property. And our pediatrician, she and her husband are black, non-white people, but they also got one of these 
white German Shepherd dog. And I, I just don't understand, like, why anybody would want that type of dog. Um, but growing up, I was always told that the German Shepherd, oh, they're such a great dog. They're so loving. Um, they protect and, you know, take care of, you know, your, your family. And they're really good with kids and stuff. But after all the research and after listening to multiple broadcasts on these dogs, they don't seem to, to live up to that at all. And if anything, um, people have demonized, like, pit bulls and other dogs. And I think those dogs tend to be associated with non-white people. Um, but now now white people are, are like, trying to, trying to, I guess, um, rehabilitate, rehabilitate the image of pit bulls. But with that, I'll just, I'll just end. It was a great broadcast. I enjoyed it. Much obliged, Mama C, woke baby, non-Clemson dad. Um, she said she had told us before about her neighbors down there in South Carolina, Dylan Roof territory, that they uh, acquired these white dogs, uh, German Shepherds. Uh, and she said, hmm, the part about the fear and intimidation. Now, she many times, that's repeated in her report about the fear and intimidation of all this. She writes, this is footnote 140 she's citing uh, NPR report use of dogs as tools for interrogation this is from uh, 2004 before the cows Uh, she writes I saw the same pictures that everybody else saw and I saw nothing wrong bringing the dogs in the situation could have been read many different ways from policemen and prison officials around the world I saw two dog handlers with dogs there and a man in between them that's all I saw I don't know how they're using them I don't know how they were told to use them but a dog is a great deterrent and if there was something going wrong at that moment to use them but a, oh, excuse me uh, but if there was but a dog is a great deterrent and if there was something going wrong at that moment to bring dogs in to quell it or to not let it escalate is common and I feel a good practice but to bring a dog in to bring anything in to intimidate is a part of an interrogation you've got to use what you can use to get the people to talk to you and it's common knowledge that the people in that area are very very afraid of dogs now incidentally the the footnote directly beneath says pseudoscience Mm. was used uh, in with Abu Ghraib specifically in saying ooh these non-white people they are afraid of dogs you can really go at them with this and they're Muslim and all this other racism pseudoscience Dr. Welsing okay so this pops up again this is in footnote 122 uh, Elizabeth Hinton America on Fire the untold story the untold history of police violence and black rebellion since the 1960s published in 2021 the supremacists terrorized black Cairoites Chicago on an everyday basis driving around pyramid courts pointing their rifles at passerby and when black children on their way to school 
they threatened them with German shepherds, describing how the sheriff and coroner deputized a civilian group called the White Hats, which conducted paramilitary drills, including police dogs, in preparation for battle with the black community members. Outside the United States, Chapman notes that police dogs were used to quell unrest in Pretoria, South Africa, and Karlskoga, Sweden. Police dogs were also used in the Teddy Boy riots in which white young men attacked black people in West London, 1958. Also in black history in West London, the ruthless Teddy Boys gang who went hunting for black people in Notting Hill. Well, published in 2020, Global System of Race. Now, think about that for people who saw, uh, what is it, Julia Roberts, uh, Hugh Grant, Notting Hill. I didn't get that part, but dang, they got the teddy boys with the German shepherds hunting black people. Jesus. Global System of White Supremacy, yes, racism, and yes, to keep black people in fear and intimidated. They talk she talks about that in this paper over and over and over. That that is deliberate and, and that's why I said it can't be that white people don't have a memory about this or they don't know this. Yes, they do. That is a part of the design. System of terrorism. Doctor Welsing said that. Uh let's see. Caller, you did get to ask a question. Did you have a question, observation you were gonna make, sir? You commented about the term minoritized Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I did have uh, a few comments to make about the. Uh, well, first and foremost, she did confirm my suspicion that basically, I guess most of the times when dogs are deployed, they're deployed against non-white people, black people. Um, but she said that based off the data that she did have, she couldn't really confirm nationwide but i do suspect that it would probably be the same thing um outside of that uh i actually have a dog myself and i've noticed that i only recently got the dog within the past few months about six months ago but i've noticed that since i've gotten the dog i've definitely had much more i've never had this many white people come up to me or, you know, I guess, like, greet me um, at all. And what they always say about uh, the dog that I have, um, he's he's like a cute pit bull, I guess you could say. I don't know how you'd look at it, but um, he has a brown. One paw is brown and the other paw is white. And uh, a lot of the white people who have, um, I guess, like, complimented him have complimented him because of his eyes as well he has like gray eyes or or like somewhat bluish eyes and so they always say that he has beautiful eyes and they call his white paw a sock and they say they love his his little uh one sock and so um i think that that's interesting um but outside of that i actually uh did want to uh i guess make uh, a, re- a request or at least uh, ask if um, 
I'd be able to exchange or get an email address because I encountered an author tonight, a white author, white male, who was at a bar um, with a lot of non-white people, uh, and he was speaking about uh, eugenics, and um, he wrote a book called How Native Nativism Fuels the Right, Blood, Blood Red Lines, um, and he actually gave me a copy of the book and said that he'd be willing to uh, be interviewed. He gave me his email address, and so I just wanted to share that, and uh, that's all I had to say. Reading more important than watching television. At a he said at a bar that's a e one of the worst combinations in the known universe. Individuals classified as white and alcohol sobriety would be best. Um, incidentally, I've had a very uh, similar experience. I've never personally owned a canine. I'm not a pet person, but I did have to uh, dog sit. Uh, for a non-white person some years back I talked about it on the program for like a month and a half uh, and having that uh, Yorkie one of the little smaller dogs like seven pounds man having him for a month and a half I had more random white people stop me talk to me or sometimes they didn't even acknowledge that I was alive. They just wanted to talk to the dog. Now he wasn't even white. I'm sure if he had been, it would have been, you know, over the time. Like he said, Oh my goodness, he's white. And Oh, what are you doing with this coon? Did you abuse you? That type of thing. But it was absolutely stunning. Uh, children, older people, males, females, like, well, I felt like I had gained so much, uh, social capital, uh, while I had him with me. It was man, man's, best friend and the pit bulls they're supposed to be the scary ones see that white people have done such a good job that's supposed to be the scary ones like oh my gosh he'll maul you and kill you to death and rip your jugular out and oh we love him dude they could have done the same thing with black people as opposed to us being thought of as dumb and ignorant and dangerous they could have you know propagandized us so that we're great and have great story that man man Much obliged, sir. We'll check. Oh, until justice at gmail.com. Until justice at gmail.com. Feel free. Drop the email. Let me know. Let's see. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Any of our other folks have commentary that they wanted to make sure they got in? Yes, sir. Uh, I believe I heard you say that that uh, about uh, that you want to know something about uh, the uh, nickname Game Gamecock with the University of South Carolina. Well, if you have a tidbit, feel free to share. Yes, uh, it says that uh, that actually uh, that the nickname came from a uh, general in the uh revolutionary war the war that's called the revolutionary war uh by the name of thomas Sum sumter uh because he was nicknamed quote unquote the fighting gamecock although the quote unquote mascot is actually a vicious looking chicken uh i don't i don't know how many people know about uh roosters they have these spurs on them 
and uh, they uh, defend themselves or be aggressive by kicking you with those spurs. Uh, I know that because I grew up in a, in a yard that had that had chickens in the yard. Uh, uh, but uh, that's the background behind that. Uh, also, uh, uh, I heard some of the, the music that you were playing. And uh, there is uh, a fraternity, a quote-unquote black Greek fraternity that adopted a nickname, uh, Omega Sci-Fi, uh, by calling themselves dogs. Uh, I, I, and as far as a universal tune, that particular tune by the, by the uh, Funkadelics in the 1970s is the, uh, I guess, a Omega Sci-Fi anthem. Uh, just so some coincidences about the subject matter that we're talking about. That's it. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Got I mentioned in for the uh, Dozier School in Florida as well. Um, yeah, that's Dr. Welsing, I said, would have quite a bit to say about all of that uh, in terms of why are so many individuals classified as black why is there so much we got to be the Q dogs my dog not to mention all the bees and dogs and all of that come on come on what is all of that about in a system of white supremacy race oh I see I see the man's best friend not trying to be dogs trying to be universal woman universal man hopefully we can get these dogs off of us as i sit at the university of washington what's their mascot go dogs oh they got the whole statue oh, man romulus and remus dr francis cress welsing <laughs> again why would we have so much value on oh yes romulus remus god is dog she even talked about that god is dog why would that be reverse the letters and oh yes yes everybody satisfied for the day anything else they need to get in yes also general sumter was known for his quote-unquote guerrilla fighting and as i think you probably know uh, guerrilla fighting is the style of of uh, counterviolence that's done by primarily by non-white people. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, I think all of that about the game cocks, <laughs> their aggression, and fight. All of that should be in the. Oh yeah. These are the folks who seceded. That aggression is generally about preserving white supremacy, racism. And our Negros, you don't come in here and tell us what to do. You don't tell us how to boss our Negros. Dylan Roof, <laughs> South Carolina Dylan Roof, man. Goose Creek, man. They talked about that one too. Anyway, we will be here uh, tomorrow, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. 
back to, well, I was going to say Ferguson, but really Missouri in general. Tomorrow, cannot wait. Uh, did we miss the caller, 9086? Did you have commentary you were going to share, 9086? Yeah, yep, real quick, caller from the 712. About the, um, with the uh, males or the rappers wanting to be called dogs, I was sit- I was standing here thinking about it. Because the rappers refer to females as B-I-T-C-H, and that's a female dog. Do you think it maybe has anything to do with that? Because they they were calling females B-I-T-C-H before, before the whole dog thing came out. Do you think it can have anything to do with that? What do you guys think? If, if you guys um, are hip-hop fans, 50 years hip-hop, I'll meet my line. Untold years of white supremacy racism. I think that's at the root of all of that. Again, I'm not a bee. I'm not a dog. Nor do I want to have sexual intercourse with a bee or a dog, unless you're into all that bestiality. I think all of that would be promoted by a racist man, racist woman, racist child. All of that just uh, furthers the dehumanization of non-white people, non-white people being in conflict with one another, uh, regardless of whether bees first, dogs first. I mean, I think all that happened at kind of the same time if you go back and look at some of those uh, names and such. But at any rate, all of that serves the system of white supremacy, racism. We can do way better, universal man, universal woman. We will be here tomorrow. Sobriety would be best, especially if, man, they got dogs trained to maul and chop off your growing might be best to be sober so that you can make the best possible decisions to keep yourself safe in an inherently unsafe environment canine she told us canine dog hopping the fence to chomp on a pregnant black female whoops Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling we're not bees we're not dogs striving to be universal man universal woman at minimum you can just leave we are victims of white supremacy racism trying not to be chomped Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.